Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep but loses one of them. Then he will leave the other ninety-nine sheep in the open field and looks for the lost sheep until he finds it. He calls to his friends and neighbors and says, Be happy with me because I have found my sheep. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins but loses one. She will light a lamp, sweep the house, and look carefully for the coin until she finds it. And when she finds it, she, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, Be happy with me because I have found the coin that I had lost. Thank you so much, 5th and 6th graders. Mr. Timmerman, for the excellent presentation, all the hard work you folk have done. It really shows when you can look at a program and see the quality and the amount of time and effort that each student had to put into it to make it come off as well as it did. Thank you so much. And parents, thank you. For many of you, this is a long drive out on a beautiful Sabbath day. I do appreciate so much your willingness to support your students, our students, in an extracurricular activity. We had a lost girl. We had some lost money. I'm going to look a little bit at a lost son. But before we do that, It's very interesting, if you look at that entire parable that runs through Luke 15, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of hanging out with sinners and publicans. Publicans and tax collectors, I think. Sinners and tax collectors, as Luke describes them. And of course it was those very individuals that Christ wanted to be with. Because it was to them who knew they needed a Savior. And in the next three stories that Jesus told to get his point across, he made it very clear to those Pharisees who were accusing him of hanging out with sinners and tax collectors of why he was doing that. He first told the parable of the lost sheep. Many of the people in the audience that were there that day were shepherds. And if they weren't, the place in which they were sitting or standing was in an area that was open fields where sheep could very well have been grazing right next to them and could wander for miles and miles in open pasture land. This was not something unknown to most of the people hearing him that day. Well, you know the story. At the end of the day, the shepherd brings his sheep to the fold and he is counting them. 97, 98, 99. One, two, three. And I'm sure he does this several times and then confirms the fact that he's short one, one sheep. That sheep wandered off knowing it was leaving the herd, the flock. If sheep choose, like we do, that sheep chose to wander away. It knew very well what it was doing. Oh, that grass is greener just a few feet further. Nibble, 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 nibble. Oh, look, it's even greener over on that side. 
nibble, nibble, nibble. And finally it finds itself far away from the flock. We're told that once that happens, once a sheep separates itself from the flock, it cannot find its way back. I don't think you've heard of a homing sheep, anyone, have you? Once they're lost, they are lost. And maybe that's why they have a herd mentality. If you have much experience with sheep, if one sheep finds a hole in a fence and it goes through it, all the rest nearby will follow. But what's interesting, as dumb as these animals are, they know the shepherd's voice. And only their shepherd will they come to when he calls them. Well, this particular lost sheep, the shepherd realizes that that one particular animal has great value. So he leaves the 90 and 9 back in the fold and goes out looking for that sheep. We don't know how far he travels in the parable, but it is some distance because it takes him a while to get to it. And when he finds it, he doesn't scold it. Verses 4 and onward of Luke 15. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep, losing one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? The shepherd, of course, here is referring to Jesus. And I find it perhaps certainly intentional, that Jesus chose one lost lamb or sheep, which strongly suggests to me that as we, the lost sheep of the universe, earth, God the Son would choose to come rescue us. to go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Verse 5, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. Jesus is finding, has found that sheep. And the rejoicing is key here. The rabbis in the crowd who are listening to Jesus tell this story had a saying that heaven rejoiced over a destroyed sinner rather than a saved sinner. Jesus taught that that to God destruction was a strange work, and heaven always rejoices in the restoration of humanity because it is in God's image that we are created. And as God's image is restored in his fallen creatures, great rejoicing takes place in heaven. The good shepherd carries the sheep. He lays it on his shoulders. That sheep that probably was dirty and maybe even wounded, the good shepherd surrounded that sheep in his loving arms and held held it tightly to his chest. 
I think this picture suggests to us that it is God's love for the sinner as he takes his arms. These are carpenter arms, so they're not little scrawny, you know, just the bone and a little bit of flesh on it. They had, they had no power tools. They couldn't go down to Sears and buy a, an, a router or a power saw. It was all muscle. He wrapped his arms around that sheep and carried it, rejoicing as they returned together back to the fold. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you that there is more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The Bible doesn't tell us much about the audiences. It never mentions women, but you can be sure there were women in the crowd. And verse 8 goes on, Or a woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search it carefully until she finds it. The houses in Jesus' day probably were one room, windowless, and quite dark, even at midday. So she would have to light a candle or a lamp of some sort to inspect the floor, which was dusty and may have rubbish hither, thither, strewn throughout the, the room. A coin very easily could get underneath, underneath a piece of rubbish or be submerged in the dust. These coins were part of her dowry that was passed from generation to generation. And it would be a very, very serious calamity to have even one coin missing. So the woman, to recover this lost coin, works hard, lights a precious candle or burns some precious oil, and sweeps until she finds it. The coin had no power of its own to go astray as the sheep did. But it did, but it was lost just the same. Of course, the coin represents individuals who are lost not of their own volition, not of their own knowing, but are lost because they do not know of the Heavenly Father. They do not know of God, the Son, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, and the power that God has in our lives. One of my favorite authors describes this parable part that it's a lesson to families. She says that the woman whose coin was lost, she searched until it was found. So in love, faith, and prayer, let parents work for their households until with joy they can come to God saying, Behold, I and my children, whom the Lord hath given me, are safe. Jesus concluded his parable, his teaching, with what we know is the parable of the prodigal son. And that takes up the, the largest portion of Luke 15, from verses 11 to 33, uh, 32, rather. I won't take too much time to read through this, but there's some very interesting dynamics in this family. Two sons, and the younger one 
makes a demand, demand for his inheritance. Now, you need to understand, if you don't know already, that in the time of this day, especially in Jewish society, the birthright went to the eldest son. The birthright had two parts to it, a religious part and a secular part. The religious part, of course, was head of household, would lead out in family worship, sacrifices, and so forth. But the cultural or financial inheritance, in this situation, two sons, when the father would have passed away, would have died, his entire estate would be cut into three pieces, and the eldest son would get two of them. In this case, because there was only two sons, the second son would get the third piece. But if there were more children, such as with Jacob's ancestry, with 12 sons, that last portion would be divided amongst all of them. So this was a very valuable thing to have. And the son says, I want my part now. I'm tired of what you have me do in your house. I'm tired of the work. I'm tired of your rules. I want out. Give me my money. That's today's language. You can read it differently in Luke 11 and onward. But nevertheless, the father said, okay, be careful what you ask for because you might just get it. Here's your money. Get out of here. Well, not quite. I think he was quite sorrowful when the son left. Probably some tears shed and maybe even some hanging on. Please don't go reconsider what you're doing. But he didn't insist on the boy staying at home. The boy goes off and squanders all the money. Um, I'm reading from the uh, New American Standard. It says that um, he went off to a far country, and there he squandered his prosperity in dissolute living. Dissolute living, rather. Some other versions are a bit more descriptive in his choice of companions and lifestyle, but we know it wasn't certainly the most uh, beneficial for himself or his other or his friends. And a famine struck the country. He had no more money, and surprise, he had no more friends. The son doesn't really realize his condition until he finds himself being so hungry that he hires on to a local pig farmer. And we say, okay, so what? Who were these people? Jesus' listeners, the son in the story, they were Jews. Even working for a pig farmer was the most detestable and menial job possible for a Jew in that day and age. It made you unclean ceremonially. For this boy to take this job, he was truly destitute. But what's interesting, he didn't understand his condition until he was stuck with the pigs. And I put it to you, it's probably because it wasn't until then that it was quiet enough for him to really hear God's voice. That's when the Spirit can speak to us, when we're quiet. His riotous living, his loud, boisterous friends, the wild parties that he threw, it was too noisy to hear the God's small, still voice. When it was with the pigs in the quiet 
time away from the rabble of his previous life when there was nothing else to distract him, he could hear God's voice. He decides to go home, or even his father's servants are better off than he. And now we see a unique picture of God, um, of the father in the story, but of God the father. Verse 20 of Luke 15. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still a far way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Now, those of you who wear glasses, if you take your glasses off and you're nearsighted, can you still recognize people from a far way off? This didn't mean a whole lot to me until I realized I needed glasses and got my first pair when I was in college and recognized my friends from across campus that I could actually see now rather than how they walked. I recognized them by their mannerisms, by how they actually walked, not who they looked like or who they were. The father was out looking for him. Maybe he did have good vision and could actually see his son. But I think it was how he was walking because the father knew his children. There's a great reunion. Everyone's happy. And then here's the eldest son coming back from the fields. I hear music. The house is all lit up. What's going on? He doesn't go into the house. I think he knows what's going on. He asks a servant, hey, what's going on? What's, how come, what, this, this is not normal. Servant tells him, and in, our, in our, and in our vernacular of the day, he gets bent. I've been working like a slave out in the field all these years. He's off having the time of the life of Riley, as my parents' generation would say. And I don't even get so much as a party, let alone the fatted calf, to celebrate with me and my friends. Jesus told parables to reach the hearts of his hearers. The elder son represented the Pharisees in the audience, and they knew it. They knew it all too well. Notice how the father deals with the, with the elder son. Verse 29. But he answered his... Oh, excuse me. Verse 31. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. All I have All that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this, your brother, was dead. He has come to life. He was lost, and he's been found. Just like the prodigal, the father in the story treats the angry son with tender love. 
we can only receive the Father's love as it is unmeritously bestowed upon us. As the Son returning from years away received a new set of clothes, a party, the family crescent ring, so too the Son at home who though he was angry and didn't even refer to the prodigal son as his brother, but your son received his father's love. Everything I have is yours, you know that. The same author who gave us insights into the lost coin, mean like lost children in the family, goes on to say that some of those Pharisees became very indignant understanding that he was talking to them, the leaders of Israel. But after Christ's ascension and the power of the Holy Spirit that came to them at Pentecost saw their misdeeds, saw their erroneous ways, and became powerful leaders in the early Christian church and spreading the good news of the gospel to fellow citizens. The sheep, the coin, the sun, each tell us stories of the human condition. Each element in the parable relates to us throughout our lives, perhaps throughout a day. The first two are diligently sought after by the owner. The second one that chooses to go astray, the third one rather, the son who chooses to go astray, when he is still a far way off is recognized. And he didn't go, well, it's about time you're home. He goes out to meet him running. God has been the cosmic chaser of the universe since Adam and Eve chose to sin. He's still chasing us today. Will you let him catch you? Will you turn to meet his embrace? Heavenly Father, May we truly have listening ears and open hearts to hear your voice and to have your strong arms wrap around us and carry us home if we have lost our way as the sheep did or to be rejoined with the other coins as the woman did as she swept diligently or as the errant son coming home coming home. Dear Jesus, may we come home to you today and stay there. May this be our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.